Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Christia Freeland says Canada may retaliate against U.S. softwood lumber duty rates. Canada is a country that is an ardent and effective trader and trading partner. Uh, we are good at following the rules and we believe in doing that. And we're also good at standing up our national interest, and we'll do that too. General Wayne Eyre is appointed as the permanent Chief of the Defence Staff. General Eyre and I will continue to work hard in reforming the culture of the Canadian Armed Forces. We need to ensure that we have an institution where everyone who puts on a uniform feels safe and respected and protected. And the Environment Commissioner's report says Canada has become the worst performer of all G7 nations on climate change. There has been some recent momentum in the form of legislation and stronger plans. So I'm still optimistic that Canada's performance can be turned around. But we can't continue to go from failure to failure. We need action and results, not just more targets and plans. It's Friday, November 26th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So the Deputy Prime Minister is saying that Canada's prepared to retaliate against the increase in duties in the United States on Canadian softwood lumber producers. I I find this interesting uh, given that it was all smiles uh, recently when Justin Trudeau was in Washington, but... It appears there continue to be these trade issues and and American protectionism uh, is still a, a considerable concern for this government, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. This is just another trade irritant uh, plaguing that relationship. Um, the zero emission vehicle tax credit being another big one. And I, I think there was a feeling um, that Canada and the U.S. both really wanted to repair their relationship after um, you know a few years of some not-so-great relations with former President Donald Trump. Um, but at the same time, you know, America, the Democratic Party has traditionally always been more protectionist, and Biden is putting forth a pretty aggressive, you know, America-first policy. Um, and so we're now, we're now seeing that. You know, softwood lumber is a dispute that goes back years and years and years, right? But it's just it's one more thing right now that's, that's being added on. So... This sort of long-standing issue is that the U.S. has always said that Canadian lumber products uh, producers dump their product into the U.S. at a lower price than American lumber companies uh, because they, they're subsidized. So the U.S. puts a tariff on all that softwood lumber from Canada to raise its price, um, which encourages consumers to buy American wood. And, and Canada has, has said that's not really you know, how it works. Um, so now the U.S. government said uh, earlier this week that it's, uh, raising the duties to just about 18 percent, it's slightly lower than just above 18 percent, um, but it's double the initial, you know, nine percent rate. Um, so, so now, yesterday, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland, uh, the Liberals were facing a lot of questions from the Conservatives, saying, you know, what's going on here? Are you effective in Washington anymore? This relationship is terrible, et cetera, et cetera. So, Freeland came back and said that, you know. Much like before, you know, we weren't shy to bring in retaliatory measures um, like we did under Trump, essentially, and, and so we're prepared to do that again. And, and what she was talking about was, the, you know, a couple of years ago, 
uh, Trump imposed really punitive double-digit tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum um, during the height of uh, the renegoti- renegotiation of, of the NAFTA agreement. Right. Um, yeah, and then Canada hit back dollar-for-dollar dollar countermeasures on American steel and aluminum, and then also really went further to uh, apply it to a host of other products from whiskey, uh, motorboats, toilet paper. There was a really long, fun list there. So essentially, Freeland, you know, was pretty strong yesterday saying, listen, if we don't, if we don't sort this out, then we are, we are in fact, uh, ready to go there. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the Canadian military. And General Wayne Eyre has officially now been appointed the next chief of the defense staff. The prime minister announced it yesterday. Uh, and he even talked about how the general will continue working to oversee cultural change and uh, to gain the trust and confidence of survivors of sexual misconduct. Um, and the interesting thing is that the backdrop for this is that the previous chief of the defense staff, who was removed because of, of allegations of, of inappropriate behavior, is still trying to get his old job back. Uh, so uh, Admiral Art McDonald is, is still fighting for that, but the government's kind of moved on. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, and, and the other thing that's really interesting to remember is that McDonald actually became chief of the defense staff in, in January and served in that role for just about five weeks before he voluntarily stepped down pending this military police investigation. Um, and that was shortly around the same time that allegations against his predecessor, um, Jonathan Vance, were coming out, right? So this was all sort of mixed in together. Um, and then in August, the military police did end their investigation into McDonald and decided not to lay charges. So he ended up coming back really strong. He, he said that he'd be coming back as chief of defense staff. This was just a few days before the election. The Liberal government had been under fire all year over how they were handling allegations of military uh, sexual misconduct. Um, so cabinet said no and ordered him to remain on leave. And then in, in the fall, uh, McDonald wrote a letter to senior officers that was really seen as, as quite uh, surprising. Um, talked about his disappointment, that what he called his exoneration, had not seen his return to duty. Um, and then Ayer wrote his own letter. There was a big war of words going on, said the letter was shocking, says, you know, we've got to remember that in democracy, the military is subordinate to our duly elected civilian leadership. And, and then Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan issued a, you know, a statement that was sort of along those same lines, too, calling it unacceptable. So I think this was sort of going to be heading uh, in a certain way, you know, that, that relationship was, uh, was quite fraught. Um, but now we, we've also heard yesterday from McDonald's lawyer that he actually is starting the process to voluntarily retire. Um, so, you know, it's possible he's no longer trying to get his job back. But at hmm. the same time, the... The lawyer also said, you know, a uh, reporter, Lee Berthium, asked, is there a potential for legal action here? Um, and he says, you know, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to respond. But he said, I quote, I can guarantee it's not the end of the issue. So we'll we'll see what happens next. Yeah, and it's certainly not the end of, of the issue for uh, the, the survivors of, of sexual misconduct and, and uh, bad behavior in the Canadian military there. Regardless of who the chief of the defense staff is, they want to see more action and a dramatic change in culture, right? That's right, and that's something that uh, defense, new defense minister Anita Anand has been talking about. That's something that she was very strong about in you know her first uh, first appearances and, and yesterday talking about that as well. Um, you know, and and one of 
one of the reasons I think the Liberal government, the cabinet, was really hesitant to reinstate McDonald, despite the lack of any charges being laid and military police, you know, concluding their investigation, was that, you know, there were some experts and victims advocates that were really questioning the decision to have the military police be the ones to conduct that investigation in the first place. Um, and so I think there was some. Um, some discomfort uh, with that conclusion. You know, Global News had reported that the the complainant um, who had first leveled that allegation against McDonald um, was also upset by that military police decision. Right. So I think there was a a feeling, perhaps, um, by by you know the civilian leadership that uh, things had not been fully cleared up there. Um, and then, yeah, once once he kind of came out swinging, I think that relationship became really really tense. All right, let's turn to what's happening on climate change. And the Environment Commissioner came out with a report saying that uh, Canada has the worst emissions record among G7 nations since 2015. And we also have contradictory policies and, and we've been slow to implement this country's plans to meet current targets. Um, so this is a pretty damning report. Um, and especially given that this is a government that has talked about how climate change is its greatest priority. It, it often refers to it that way. So um, are, you, are you surprised by these findings and, and what should Canadians make of them? No, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, I saw this report as sort of one of the long series of similar reports. You know, um, Gary DeMarco, the environment commissioner, sort of made the point that Listen, Canada started promising to cut emissions like three decades ago. <laughs> and this isn't, a two, this isn't a 2015 promise, right? This does not start with the Trudeau government. They started promising this three decades ago. And yet, since 1990, emissions have gone up 20%. So something something's not working here. Um, he says, you know, we can't continue to go from what he called failure to failure. We need action and results, not just more targets and plans. So, you know, this is sort of... Again, something that's not, not not surprising, but what I found really interesting was, was sort of one of the, the smaller reports, the audits, that I think is a really good example of how these targets and overarching plans aren't going to do anything if they're not really carefully um, figured out. Um, and this was this, we call this Emissions Reduction Fund. So there, this was a federal pandemic aid program run, run by Natural Resources Canada. It was set up for the oil and gas sector, and it was supposed to help them retain jobs and cut, and cut greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and yet, the the commissioner found it's not actually set up to do either of those things. It, you know, it cost six hundred seventy-five million dollars, um, and yet it was supposed to help pay for projects to help oil and gas companies meet or exceed rules on on methane emissions leaking. But the audit says it was based on outdated data. Um, two-thirds of the applicants for the first round of projects said the money would help them boost production. So if they're going to be boosting production with this money, then how are they going to be reducing emissions? Um, and, and he was just sort of really scathing about it. So, so the overarching theme was, you know, Canada really has been falling down on this, and yet I found this, this smaller report quite um, emblematic, I guess, of what, what the bigger problem is, is that there's these programs that might be designed with good intentions, but if you don't really think through the consequences and think through, you know, natural sort of business behavior, you know, you're going to give a company money <laughs> to help save itself. Um, maybe it's going to use that money to increase production. And if you increase production as an oil and gas company, then guess what else you're increasing too, right? So, yeah. So I think there's just a, a lot a lot of work to be done. Definitely. 
All right, Joanna, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mark. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Canada was once a leader in the fight against climate change. However, after a series of missed opportunities, it has become the worst performer of all G7 nations since the landmark Paris Agreement on Climate Change was adopted in 2015. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues that, regardless of the future, climate change is already costing us billions of dollars. Schofield writes, The harsh material effects of climate change are in our faces, taking lives, destroying livelihoods, and costing us billions of dollars. And we've wasted 30 years in not dealing with them. Warnings about the disastrous, real-world implications of a changing climate have been with us since the early days of global discussions about greenhouse gas emissions back in the 1990s. But even as a heightened sense of urgency has driven concrete policy action and investment in the name of cutting emissions over the coming decades, we in Canada have been excruciatingly slow to anticipate and prevent the destruction here and now. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason writes that Jason Kenney is far from a dead premier walking. Mason writes... Jason Kenney has a new bounce in his step. The Alberta Premier emerged from last weekend's gathering of the United Conservative Party, seemingly more confident than ever of his future prospects. The great showdown between the Premier and his dissenters never materialized. The anonymous voices filling newspaper columns in recent weeks with words of condemnation for Kenney and predictions of his imminent demise never found the courage to take their campaign public. Conscience makes cowards of us all. The next election in the province isn't until the spring of 2023, and a lot can happen between now and then. In some respects, a lot already has. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt writes that whether it's inflation or just inflation, the Liberals are keeping a careful eye on grocery prices. Delacourt writes, Just in time for Black Friday, the political debate in Ottawa has become seized with all matters to do with shopping. It is the product, pardon the pun, of rising inflation, which is a relatively new and unwelcome development in Canada. The politics of grocery prices, however, are old and familiar. It's so familiar, in fact, that the price of milk question has its own Wikipedia entry defined as a tactic for gauging political candidates' familiarity with the lives of ordinary voters. Inflation is not a great thing for Canadian consumers, but it is a good issue for the Conservatives as Parliament resumes this week for the first time since the election. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with the Mayor of Montreal, Valérie Plante, at Montreal City Hall. He will then travel to Abbotsford, British Columbia, to meet with local politicians, members of the Canadian Armed Forces, first responders and volunteers, and also visit areas affected by the flooding. Later in the day, the Prime Minister will meet with British Columbia Premier John Horgan. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet virtually with private sector economists and the Minister of Labour, Seamus O'Regan, and Minister of Justice, David Lametti, will make an announcement in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November 26th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.